0: Security expert, Will Geddes. And CEO of the International Corporate Protection Group. The real life James Bond.
1: What is the most controversial situation you've been called in to handle?
0: He was a QC who had a bit of a penchant for transsexuals. Decided to take two back, take lots of recreational drugs, and they live-streamed their shenanigans to a third party who recorded the whole thing and then blackmailed. Nothing shocks me now, Ellie. We may end up breaking jewelry, wrists, ribs, whatever, in the process of protecting it. And I have had occasions where I'll grab them by the neck. Celebrities who've had the most horrendous threats made against them by random people. I've gone and met those people. Here's the controversial thing. You're Mm not going to hate me for this.
1: Will Geddes, welcome to the On A Mission podcast.
0: I am so privileged, Ellie. I've watched so many of yours, and uh, I have to say you've had some really astounding guests. And I think as I've probably mentioned on other podcasts, that there are, I get asked to do them a lot. And there are very few that I really want to do because, you know, it... it You as a subject are only as good as your interviewer, and and I've seen you. (laughs) I've seen you. I've seen you in the nicest way dismantle people. So I'm looking forward to the challenge.
1: Oh my goodness, dismantle in a lovely
0: way, in a lovely way, in a lovely way.
1: You know that's very high praise indeed. Uh, I do really appreciate that because uh, you know the podcast very much about the guests and not with me, but all my favourite podcasters that I listen to it's about facilitating the space mm. and maybe this sounds a bit woo and I didn't intend it to sound woo woo but providing the right energy to just allow the guest or the subject to feel comfortable elaborating on their story and knowing when to listen rather than to talk which is actually Believe it or not quite challenging oh, it 's a super
0: skill yeah but it 's a super skill for everybody but it's uh, I mean, it 's like everything in life it 's about chemistry you know one of the, the the real fundamentals that I talk to everybody about you know particularly when it comes to personal security and risk assessing and that sort of thing is about you Know your gut feeling, and if you have the wrong gut feeling, you know, for whatever reason it might be, then the chemistry is not going to work. Um, so you know, uh, I, I'm I'm kind of anxious about today's podcast, so
1: <laughs> I have no
0: idea what, what you're going to throw at me in
1: your book. There, of well, you know, it's interesting. I, I just mentioned to you, I have, uh, I don't know more of a Security blanket, I always have my notepad at the side of me. But if you've watched any of my stuff on uh, video format, you'll see I never, ever look Mm. at what's on my notepad. And I very rarely ask any of the the questions or uh, go down the avenues I was originally intending on. And the reason I say that is straight away, you just mentioned there about energy. Before Mm. we get into anything else, I know from listening to your previous interviews that you've been in situations before where you've had potentially very high paid clients Mm. And you have refused to work with them in the nicest and most professional manner. And we've done exactly the same thing. And a lot of people talk the talk about knowing your worth, values, um, being treated with respect. But then when the shiny penny sticks its head above the parapet, their values tend to go out the window, whereas you genuinely will say no to someone if you don't think they're a right fit.
0: (laughs) And You know why? It, I think it's been the fact that I have taken that path, and you know, maybe I'm a, a few years older than than most people, uh, and yeah, I've learned.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I am feeling it this morning. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, I think it's because you can find yourself. You know, it's like that definition of insanity: to continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. You know, instinctively, or you learn over time. Particularly in my world, you learn over time to listen to that instinct and say, look, why am I pushing against it? Why am I bucking against it? We've had it since our evolution, since we were in caves fighting saber-toothed tigers and we had very little else to rely on. But it's like if you walk into a room at a party and you see someone you've never met before, never seen before, and you get that instinctive feeling, I'm going to get on well with them. Mm -hmm. And you go over and you talk to them and you find out that you do. Or in reverse, you walk into a room at a party and you see someone you've never met before, but you get that feeling, oh, oh, I'm just not going to get on well with them. And more often than not, you, you sit next to them at dinner. And as hard as you try, it just doesn't work.
2: Yeah.
0: And I think it's down to the fact that you've got to actually listen to yourself and say, look, how hard do I need to push it? And that's not to say, early on in my career, uh, that I worked with people that I detested and I didn't actually like. I won't name names. Um, but Thank I had you. to. to pay.
2: <laughs>
0: but I had to because I had to pay the bills. So, you know, we will have to sometimes force that situation. But in relationships, it's so key, you know, in our personal relationships, whether that be intimate, romantic or friends. Don't try and force a square peg into a round hole, because to be honest, you're probably both doing it. And and where's it going to end up? Nobody happy.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting that you talk about intuition and listening to that gut feeling. You mentioned that people have been doing that since the dawn of time, but you had quite a challenging start to life where you were in quite volatile situations, which I'd like you to elaborate on if you wouldn't mind, Well, because... Basically, what I want to know is whether your upbringing Mm. provided you with the skills to be able to pick up on potentially dangerous situations, to be able to read rooms uh, and some of the skills from a young age that you now use as part of your daily practice, Yeah, or that was something that you feel that we've all got within us that perhaps we don't always listen to.
0: I do think it's nurture rather than nature. I do believe that we are shaped by our experiences um, and that will shape us in in positive and negative ways. Um, I had, and I think, you know, I've mentioned it on other podcasts, I had a pretty traumatic childhood. Um, I had very abusive parents. I had a very alcoholic mother who basically was, you know, physically abusive. Um, And you learn a survival skill and i you know i've spoken to other you know people friends who've come through similar childhoods and you learn survival skill to read it to read the room super quick mm-hmm. because certainly with alcohol or someone who's under some sort of substance abuse the volatility can be instantaneous. You know, it's like a little dog. You know, one minute you can stroke it, or a cat, lick, lick, bite. You know, it can change in two seconds. So you learn to adapt and read very quickly and try and preempt what is Mm. going to happen with that person. And that inherently has been, you know, I look back at my childhood and go, oh, my God, I wouldn't want to go through that, and I wouldn't want anyone else to go through it. But I think it's been such an amazingly useful tool that I've developed. And that, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean in a security perspective, you know, obviously, if you're in a threat situation, it can be very, very helpful. But I think also where it's um, incredibly helpful is with friends. Uh, and you know we were talking earlier, and you were mentioning earlier about sort of listening rather than talking. You know, so, we do have two of these, and we have got one of these, and we're, yeah, but we all do. We all have a, a real difficulty sometimes just sitting back. And I put something actually on my Instagram the other day, which uh, which I heard, which I thought was so good that we as guys, and particularly also from my childhood, are all about fixing things. You, mm-hmm. you want to fix things, and we drive you women absolutely insane because you may come home and say darling I've had the most crappy shitty day and this and that has happened and and we're, we're already going right this is how we're going to fix it and you don't want us to do that so you know I put something up the other day which resonated obviously with a lot of people and particularly women who came back and said I wish my other half would do that and it was to ask Do you want comfort or solutions? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you want both, but sometimes you just want the man in your life to actually listen. And I have this with clients as well. You know, again, you get brought in, you know, it's a blackmail, it's a kidnapping. It's something that's made their world go incredibly dark. And I used to be too quick off the the, the, the mark to go, right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to fix this. When really you need to just sit quietly, just listen, let them download, let them give you all the problems and issues and just go, don't worry. We're going to fix it.
1: I know that this is a completely different context, but I was kind of smiling as you were saying that. Because when I started to get into self-development, started to take accountability for my own life, started educating myself, instilling a bit more discipline into my daily routine, I found that my friendship groups changed somewhat because it's, it's that whole thing not this is, this is maybe a bit harsh but misery likes company yeah. and prior to that I was the world's biggest victim you know I could sit and spend hours telling you about my traumatic childhood or all the reasons in life why I'm not a multi-millionaire and this person is or the reason that I'm overweight or, or any of this kind of thing and the more I started implementing what I was learning and started seeing positive changes in my own life the more it repelled certain people and I've got to take some ownership for that because if somebody was sitting there for the 20th time within that month telling me how much they hated their job Mm. what I realized very quickly is they don't necessarily want the advice they just want to rant and to offload and just to get it out basically but there definitely was a disconnect because I got to a point where I realised that my advice was actually they didn't want to hear that actually you don't have to stay in that dead-end job. You do actually have (coughs) options. But because they had no intention of making the changes and they just wanted to run and I just got to the point where I didn't want to listen anymore then things really change. What I realise yeah. when somebody tells you that they're fed up as they're popping antidepressants, drinking a bottle of wine a night and eating pizza, they don't want you to tell them to go and exercise and to jump in an ice bath and get off the medication and stop fucking about with their life and, and man up for all intents and purposes.
0: You know, I couldn't agree more. And, <clears throat> but also the one thing that worries me about society now is the complete deterioration of hardship. Mm-hmm. And it's the removal of Um, the fact that we need to go through hardship, we need to be carved out of stone, we need to be shaped into the people, the warriors, and the warriors collectively, all genders apply. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes we need to hear the stuff we don't want to hear. And I'll give you one example, and I love this one. I, you know, <clears throat> I have to train regularly because, you know, I was a fat, chubby kid. Was, oh, yeah. And I, <laughs> I, need I, to see some I can send you pictures. Yes, please. Thankfully, I won't. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, because I grew up on Spam and Alphabet, Spaghetti, and, and God knows whatever else in the 70s. And uh, so I've always had a problem with my weight. So I have to train hard. You know, I'm carrying a bit more than I would probably like, a bit more timber than I'd like right now. And then you go back to something I did for Unilad during... Um, Uh, the pandemic, where I was interviewed about being a bodyguard. And I was super skinny and my arms looked like, you know, twiglets. And, you know, I had all the ex-paras going, oh, you know, get in the gym, mate, (laughs) and all this business. But I was, at one time, I I allowed myself to get really quite chubby. And there was a guy at my gym who I didn't really know. I'd see him occasionally, but we'd never been out for a drink. We never shared a coffee, but we'd say hi. And he turned around and said, well, you look fucking fat. (laughs) And you know what? As crushing as that was, I went, oh shit, yeah. It was the best thing I could have heard because yeah. I literally walked away. And, and to this day, I turned around to him and said, you know what? I needed to hear that.
1: Yeah.
0: As, as, as sharp as a blade that was that went into me. I needed to hear that and thank you very, very much. And he, like, dies, you know, of embarrassment now and he goes, oh my God, I didn't really mean to say that. And I said, no, I'm so pleased you did.
1: Because that because that was life-changing for you and we've got <coughs> to question what what is a real friendship or a real relationship. Yeah. It's not telling somebody what they want to hear. It's not enabling... Toxic behavior. But obviously, you are going to alienate a lot of people. And when I say, you know, I'll, I'll get lambasted for that, you've got to man up. That's not me being dismissive of mental mm. health problems. That's me having openly admitted to having suicidal thoughts in the past, being on pharmaceutical yeah. antidepressants and anti anxiety tablets for years and years and years that just continued to exasperate the situation. This is me that's been overweight, that doesn't particularly like exercising. This this is me that's been at rock bottom more times and I've had hot yeah. dinners and had to crawl my way out of these situations. And it's not bloody easy, but I just think that we're almost in a, a time of entitlement where it's like that old saying, isn't it? People want the baby without the bathwater. And when people see where I am now compared to five years ago when I was on Job Seekers Allowance and they see what did you do? I'm like, you're yeah. not going to like the answer. You want me to tell you I went on a, a two-day course, changed my life, Five steps to success done within seven days. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm some sort of ultra happy uh, multimillionaire. It's like you don't go from being suicidal and not being able to leave the house to Mm. being able to confidently talk on stage in front of hundreds of people without putting yourself through a process. And that's exactly what you've done.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I was thrown out of home. Um, You know, I was 17 at the time, got thrown out of home, lived lived on the streets for a short while, then uh, lived in a squat. Uh, I had, uh, I think I mentioned, uh, you know, I had this horrendous job where I was getting paid 50 quid a week.
1: Oh, double glazing, I wasn't yeah. it? that. I did door to door double glazing. Did you? Glazing. Brilliant. Yeah.
0: And, I, I, and literally, I was 50 quid a week. Um, 30 quid a week had to go on the squat that I was in, uh, which got burgled, and all my possessions got nicked anyway. Uh, I had 10 quid for my travel pass to get to the job and I lived on 10 pounds, wow. 10 pounds a week. And that 10 quid. okay.
1: Hey guys, it's Ellie and I'm super excited to share that I'm partnering up with one of my favorite brands, AG1 by Athletic Green. I'm asked all the time about the one thing that I do to take care of my health and in reality, there's so many to choose from. But if I could only pick one, it would be Athletic Greens because it ticks so many boxes. Life can get pretty hectic. As a busy mum of three, I know firsthand how easy it is to let your nutrition slip especially when you're always on the go or travelling. It's easy to neglect the thing that's the most important to us, and that's our health. Since I started taking AG1, it's been a game-changer. My energy levels have been through the roof, my hair and skin feel amazing, my digestion's improved, and I'm even sleeping better. It's a real deal. The ingredients are sourced from the highest quality producers from around the world. But what I love most about it is that all my nutritional bases are covered with one scoop. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and probiotics, which means it's replaced a ton of other supplements that was previously taken. It's my secret weapon. It helps me show up as the best version of myself every single day, all from adding one simple habit. But don't just take my word for it. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase go to athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission that's athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission check it out
0: this is a few years back so it probably went a little further than it would today which would be probably what one starbucks or something Mm. um but i remember i had a bottle which back in those days you'd like put loads of 2 pieces or you're changing it and i looked at it and it literally that was my worth that was all i had in the world and i looked at this thing and went fuck what are my options do i just go and jump in the thames you know i've got this shitty dead-end job i'm living in this shitty dead-end place i've got no friends uh, my life uh, my family have kicked me out um what do i do and you just have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and i don't think kids these days are given that opportunity it's all this participation prizes it's like <laughs> you know if if you don't come second you know it, you know you, you've participated you won yay um
1: can I, can I just say, yeah. I, uh, my, my husband and I are on the same page with this, but yeah. you know on sports days when the kids get like a proper certificate, we're like really excited for them. And yeah. obviously we support our children as long as they do their best. That's all we ever expect of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, when they yeah. get their participation certificate, I just scrunch it, it into a ball. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm Brilliant. sorry. But... I love that.
0: I love that. And it's like, that, that's what I think of your participation prize. I genuinely think that. And I, you know what? Here's the controversial thing. You're going to hate me for this. I actually think bullying is a good thing oh
2: in my measure goodness.
0: in wow. measure in measure i think physical bullying is not a good idea um i think driving someone physically through bullying is a good thing i think uh delivering hardships building psychological strength i was told as a child i was lazy uh consistently by my father he just said you're a lazy little shit and you'll never amount to anything. My, my, my school reports were abominations. Uh, and it was always Will's looking out the window, you know, in cloud cuckoo land. And I constantly believed that I was lazy. I work so hard now. And I, I, I started literally pushing against that tide and going, you know what? Everyone thinks I'm lazy. He thinks I'm lazy. Am I lazy? No, I'm not. I've got to do something. And either that or you fault. And if you fold, that's it. You're never coming back from that. Or if you fold too much, you're never coming back from that. You need, everybody needs to kick up the ass. I do, everybody does. And I think sometimes we need to hear those hardships. And that's why when I say bullying, I use it in a loose term. You know, I, I I think you know physical picking on other kids. I'm I'm such you know I was bullied as a kid. You know, I, I because I was a fat one, I couldn't run away.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <off your> <laughs> I know I was slow, too slow. That's why I tried to get fit and do ultra marathons
2: and things like that. You
1: know, it's really interesting. I had quite a similar upbringing. I had quite a volatile relationship with my parents. They were in the process of going bankrupt themselves, getting divorced, both having mental breakdowns in their own right. My sister had diagnosed with bipolar i not really sure how I feel about her diagnosis but she was getting sectioned constantly and at the same time I was getting bullied quite badly at school we mm. had like a brick going through the family house window oh, <coughs> uh, got put in hospital that's not the a... kind of
0: bullying I'm talking about yeah
1: No, but I mean, it's probably a bit more extreme. I got my nose broken. But I just remember the sort of uh, making excuses, the fear of the bell going at the end of the day, not so much for the physical things, but Mm. the embarrassment of being so unpopular and picked on and trying to come up with excuses to leave class five, 10 minutes before everyone else. And when I look back on that, as much as... I don't regret anything that's ever happened in my life because I, I'm someone who will always take the positives and take the learnings. I want to do that. One of the reasons I want to do that is so I can protect my own children yeah. from having to endure what I endured and learn all my life lessons along the way. But it does present a different set of problems. Like yeah. we're moving to Dubai in August, as you know. Yeah. Like there's zero crime. Yeah, They have a zero billion policy as well at their schools it's such a utopian life mm. that it's almost uh, it is going to be the reality but it's almost a false reality
0: <laughs> yeah which is which is warrant. but then again your kids thankfully have you know strong parents like you and your partner and and those kids have that chance of survival. Because the, the biggest fear is that I think for children, you know, and I've written books about, you know, safety online for kids. Uh, I, I, I'm a strong anti-bullying advocate. Um, so I don't want to, to be misunderstood what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is I think kids need to be pushed hard they need to hear the realities of life they need to be prepared that everybody out there is shit don't trust anybody i know that sounds horrible and it sounds very pessimistic but it's true whenever i you know i was with a client yesterday and they've got a huge amount of problems going on and there's potential people within their own camp who are leaking information to various various groups and i said don't trust anybody first and foremost don't trust anybody and and the one thing i've learned over time is that you cannot trust anybody you can give them a little degree of trust but we all have everybody has a little dark corner in their world Mm -hmm. which nobody knows about nobody knows about you know even your best friends in the world i mean my two best friends uh uh they they probably know me better than most people and they know where some of the bodies are buried (laughs) the but but you know the vast majority of people out there you can't trust And I think for kids, they've got to learn that. They've got to learn. Because otherwise, what are you doing for those kids? How are you preparing them? How are you protecting them in the longer term? Because they're going to come out and they're literally going to be um, blindsided by the people out there. And having protected people against stalkers, against blackmailers, against all sorts. The one thing that I can say, and I was saying this to someone the other day, is there is irrationality in life. There are people out there who will hate on people for no reason we could sit down we could try and fathom it we could try and analyse it we could try and break it down but even they wouldn't be able to figure out why they have that inherent hate of that one person I've had you know celebrities who've who've had the most horrendous threats made against them by random people I've gone and met those people and sat down and said what is going on what did they do how did they you know I just want to understand this and they go I don't know I just don't like that person
1: I've had death threats yeah I mean I know. It can oh, me be too, I a, know. A but, but, mine were
0: usually justified, but...
1: though. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's crazy. And I think there's an almost acceptance if you put yourself out there mm. that you have to be willing to shoulder some level of abuse back. And I don't think I necessarily agree with that. But it's interesting what you were saying here, Will, because you're, I know that you don't like people saying this, but you are dubbed as the real life... James Bond, aren't you? That's uh, and, and also I don't know why.
0: Maybe Daniel Craig's dad. <laughs> Daniel
1: Craig's dad. Well, Daniel Craig. She's not that his...
0: far of, uh, younger than me, to be fair. Yeah, I
1: was going to say he's in his fifties now, isn't he? He's it? a nice guy
0: too. And I have to say, when you meet him in the for real, he's got the most cobalt eyes. I mean, ridiculously blue eyes. I have to say, you know, I've I've, I've never really gone for the other side, but you know,
1: <laughs> you're a You know what? The, <laughs> in kidding. my humble opinion, was definitely the best James Bond.
2: Yeah,
1: but you work with. A lot of high-profile people, not Mm. just your realist celebrities. Although I know you've worked with plenty of those, but you've worked with leaders of countries. You you run the security on such a huge level, and your knowledge is second to none. But with regards to that specific point, then around children and the advice that you give out through your book and just through the services that you provide, what advice would you give myself and other parents in terms of, like, I have a ten-year-old, for example. Mm. She's not allowed on TikTok or anything Brilliant. like that. Brilliant. that's a good start. Uh, I personally really don't agree with that. I've also kept my children, it's not been an intentional thing. I think it's been more subconscious away from ever watching music videos and things because I oh, personally wow. okay. feel that they are very sexually explicit even when you look at people like Little Mix or Sugar Babes. This is probably showing how I date my <laughs> stuff. Is. I don't even know what's in the charts at the minute.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh,
1: and by the way, I like both of those bands. I think they're amazing. But actually their videos are quite raunchy and laced with innuendo, which I don't want a a five or a six-year-old or even a 10-year-old to be seeing. So again, I think I've created this very safe little bubble Mm. for my 10-year-old. But as she goes into secondary school, we've not even had the chat about sex. How do you then sort of start talking about paedophiles? We have spoke about... Security and one of the things that we've done from a young age with her, my, my eldest, this is, is start with martial arts. My husband's Great. a black belt, so Great. that she can protect herself as much as a child can in any potentially dangerous situation.
2: Mm.
1: But how much information should we give? And by withholding some information, is that actually counterproductive sometimes? I
0: okay, so there's a yes and a no to both of that. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. This is just a coaching session for me, sorted. Uh, Okay, so here was the irony. So when very large publishers, Dawn Kinsley, came to me and said, Will, could you write this book? And it's called Parents Alert, How to Keep Your Kids Safe Online. I thought, A, there's got to be a million books out there like this. And they went, no, there aren't. There are no books actually for parents in how to basically help their kids. They said, I said, okay, so what ages are we covering? They said, seven to 17. And I went, are you kidding me? And they went, no, seven to 17, please. And I went, well, for starters, seven to 13 is going to be about best practice. 13 to 17 is going to be about crisis management because from 13 to 17, they will have overtaken their parents and their capability and what they can do. Um, the issue with kids and the thing with yours is as much as you can cotton wool them, protect them, be the best parent you possibly can, there's only so much that you can do to you know, basically silo them from all the horrors of the world. Because the problem is, is that their friends, if you're, they're not seeing it through the devices that you give them, they're going to see them through the devices that their friends have. And they're going to be going, oh, have a look at this, have a look at this, have a look at this. And the biggest shocker, I do a lot of talks for parents and at schools and for kids as well. And uh, one of the things that I would say is uh, a biggest frightener for, for parents is the age that kids most often are first exposed to pornography. And it can be hideously young.
1: It oh, could be talking? like
0: seven, six years old. No, yeah, seriously.
1: But how? Like how? From Surely their friends,
0: the, from the their
1: parents need to take responsibility. Absolutely,
0: hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. They
1: are shit parents if their kids are accessing porn at age six. Yeah. and I know I'm meant to be all love and light and not judgment. but yeah. this is like real talk here.
0: Yeah, 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 big time. And but the problem is, is that kids are going to see it. Uh, as much as you try and protect them from it, they're going to see it. They're going to get access to that content because you know, going back to the days when you know. I was that age. Um, we didn't have the internet. We, no. we didn't have, you know, the, the access that kids are afforded now. You literally go on your phone and you can go and see anything online. The second thing was, one of the things that I talked about in the, in as one chapter, and I cover everything, pornography, I cover buying drugs online, all sorts of things. One of the things I covered was sexting. And and basically, the, the, the publishers went, oh, well you, well, you can't start talking about things like sexting. And I said, it's going to happen. You, you can try and stop them. I mean, their parents are probably doing it more than the kids, to be fair. But the kids are going to do it. So the only thing I can suggest and recommend is that they're doing it safely. And they're doing it in a way that it doesn't compromise them. And having protected a few people who've been blackmailed through revenge porn, and to this day, nobody has been incarcerated for a revenge porn. I don't know what's going to happen with uh Stephen Bear. I just thought to ask what's happening with him. Uh I think that's still pending, you know, um, obviously sentencing to see what happens. But he'll probably get a custody. He won't probably get a custodial. I would have thought he's going to get suspended, which is disgusting. Yeah. Personally, I think throw them in the in jail, shut the keys away. Because anybody who uses that kind of material to basically um coerce, control, um intimidate someone is or, or even and Degrade them
1: as well. Degrade them.
0: It's just disgusting. Mm-hmm. But you know, the three there are three things that I've always said, you know, and and obviously here's the other irony, I don't have any kids. So here <laughs> I am writing a book about how to protect kids. Um three things that I always <laughs> say to every single parent. They say, come on, Will, how do you wrap it up? I'd say three T's, okay? First thing is trust. You've got to trust your kid to, to make right decisions. Then mm-hmm. They won't always make those right decisions, but you've got to trust them to be... A, if you stop putting spyware on their phones uh, or their devices and they find it and they didn't know it was there, then they go down a rabbit hole. Uh, And then they'll see those and parental controls as basically challenges. The second thing is talking, and that goes with the trust. And it's sitting down and looking at their online lives as much as their offline lives Mm -hmm. and going, who is Timmy? Who is Fred that you play Call of Duty with or that you do Minecraft with or that you meet up online and chat with? If they were saying, I'm going to go out and meet my buddies and play in the park, you go, whose kids are they? Who are their parents? Did you meet them at school? But so many parents don't when it comes online because Mm -hmm. they think it's a whole other world. It's not a tangible world. It is a tangible Mm -hmm. world. And the third thing really is teamwork. Mm -hmm. And that is with trust, talking, and then teamwork. The most important thing is for the child to be able to feel that if something goes wrong, they can come to you. And you you may say, I'm going to scream and shout at you, but not now. I'm going to do it later. Let's Mm -hmm. get you out of this hole right now. Yeah, you know, it's like when I get pulled in to deal with something really controversial or compromising for someone, and boy, nothing shocks me now,
1: Ellie. Oh nothing. God, right. So, what is the most? Nothing. Obviously, we're not naming names. <laughs> well, not name names. But what is the most controversial situation you've been called in to handle?
0: Uh, at one end, uh, I, well, uh, loads of affairs. I've had loads of those where like, people have been caught out on those.
1: What what do they do in that situation then? Because surely the damage has been done.
0: Well, it's usually because they've had an affair and then the partner, uh, the mistress or whoever else the guy might be, or the guy is, you know, to the the client who's either male or female, Uh, and I'll come on to another context of that in a moment, Uh, has turned around and said, I want money, I want this, I want that, I want you to leave your wife. If you don't, I'm going to show them these intimate pictures, I'm going to talk to them, I'm going to compromise them at work, I'm going to do all this sort of stuff. So had all those. Uh, I think the most controversial one was uh, a very, he was a QC, I won't mention any names, uh, (laughs) who had a bit of a penchant for transsexuals and uh, decided to take two back, take lots of um, uh, recreational drugs uh, and alcohol and they live-streamed their shenanigans to a third party (sighs) who recorded the whole thing and then blackmailed them. So, you know... (sighs) Yeah, t- how there's can people nothing be that shocks so
1: me I You know what I don't get is how <laughs> such intelligent people can be so thick because you are saying about the sex thing with adults. I wouldn't even have anything compromising <laughs> on my phone knowing how easily accessible from... Yeah. Big, it's not even about someone... It's big tech. Yeah. Mm. People have had their phones hacked. Yeah. That does happen.
0: happen. It does. It does happen. Yeah. And uh, anything you put online is on there forever. Yeah. If you know where to look you'll find it.
1: I feel so sorry for the younger generation now because, mm. well, I mean, thankfully I have my own business, but I would categorically be unemployable <laughs> if there was footage kicking about from my teenage years when I was drinking White Lightning cider. <laughs> White
0: and, Lightning. God, classy girl. I was a classy girl. <laughs> I mean, that was a
1: rite of passage age 14 in, in Scotland, actually. So it's, uh, well, your deep fried Mars bars, you know. But it was, it was certainly an interesting time and Sometimes we say stupid shit. Joe Rogan, he, I mean, putting aside the, yeah. the, the children and the teenagers, I just think it's such a shame for them to be held accountable and people losing jobs from tweets they made age 16. When, yes, that's the, ridiculous. It, you that's know, they ridiculous. said something a little inappropriate. Yeah. But some uh, journalists went through Joe Rogan's entire back catalogue I mean, nobody would do that with mine because I'm you not never a know, big Ellie. enough profile. But you I need know. to clean stuff up before mm. I kind of hit the the big, big league, if you like, because you can mash up words if you listen to enough of somebody's content or enough of someone's posts, and you can find some really inappropriate material for 99.9% of us, should you dig yeah. hard enough. Yeah. And yeah, it's um it's quite an interesting one. Last time we spoke when we had to zoom as well, you were telling me about high-profile business people this is quite a sorry this isn't uncommon that they could come over from the states or wherever else stay in a really opulent five-star hotel be at the hotel bar having one too many yeah and quite often when these people are there mm. well i'll let you tell the story because yeah. I, I, after we had this conversation i saw an article in the daily mail the very next day i was like this is such a coincidence.
0: I wonder yeah. if it's one of Will's clients. Yeah. Uh, and I would neither confirm nor deny, <laughs> would I? Um, yeah, I mean, t- that was one particular instance, which is um, I- very easy for us to, to, to get in line. It's funny, I put a comment on something the other day. There was something that was uh, put up of a young girl who was spiked in a bar. And, um, and it's amazing how many people sort of responded to the, because I basically put up, yeah, okay, this is what you do if this has happened and how you should respond to it. But this particular incident, yeah, a perfectly innocent, um, businessman, you know, came over, uh, went to the bar, ended up being befriended by someone who spiked their drink, took the money, a complete adventure that night, you know, strip bars, house parties, God knows what compromising photographs were taken. And then it was, give us the money. Um, and if you don't give the money, we're going to tell your family, we're going to tell your business, all sorts of things. I've got fucking zero time for people like that. You know, I want to cr- step on them and crush them out of existence. Uh, and and I, and there have been examples made in certain circumstances, but I won't go into details. <laughs> <laughs> You're not giving me
1: any of the juice. <laughs> oh,
0: maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I mean there's The problem is is there's also this issue where you know people like myself, people in my sector you know that we 're going to only grow and grow and grow as the police are depreciating in their ability to be able to protect the general public. Um it's funny, a very good mate of mine, you should have him on as a, a guest, Mark Williams Thomas. Uh you may know Mark. He's he broke the whole Jimmy savile um sort of exposure. Oh
1: really? Wow. And he's a
0: good buddy of mine. And uh and he's been doing quite a lot around the Nicola Bully thing as well. And uh-huh. uh and he's done stuff on the Madeleine McCann. He's he's got a few documentaries on on uh, Netflix. There you go, Mark, pay me royalties. <laughs> um but he and I sat down and we said, Look, why don't we do a show together? And we'll call it, you know, be like the new equalizers. So, you know, we will basically go into places where people haven't got the money to access our services normally. And we'll make a TV show out of it. And we will go in and we will resolve issues. It could be antisocial behavior. It could be bullying in a neighborhood. It could be, all, you know, some hooligans come in and it's terrorizing all the neighbors. You know, we'll come in and we'll basically dismantle them. But we'll do it not in a sort of brutal physical sense, we will do it in a psychological sense, and we will basically break it down and use it, you know, and basically show the police up and and say, look, guys, this is your opportunity to shine. This is your chance to to regain some confidence from the general public, and uh, and show that you can be a service to your communities, uh, or you're going to show yourselves to be effing useless, and that it's unfortunately down to the general public. And I don't, I don't endorse vigilante behaviour unless it's done in a very directed and very clever and smart and legal way. So mm-hmm. we were hoping there was going to be like take-home that would come from it. So uh, any TV channels out there? <laughs> there we go. Oh, so did this not actually get
1: off the ground? Then?
0: No, we never got it off the ground because we're too damn busy. That's a problem. So, so yeah. it's finding the time to do it and, and, and crack on. But there needs to be, you know, uh, it's funny, well, like with the watch robberies here in London, I put something out basically saying, look, I want to put together a snatch team. So we'll we'll get someone as beautiful as you, Ellie, oh, to walk down the street topic. with a Odomar P. Gay, you know, or a, or a, you know, or a nice Rolex Daytona, and we will have a team. We will box up basically the area covertly. Uh, get you to walk through, wait for the watch robbers to come in, and then we will pounce, hog-tie them, get the cops along, video the whole thing. And and uh, I remember talking to one of the TV channels, they said, yeah, we want to do this. <laughs> we never got it off the ground. But the number of guys in my community, a lot of security guys, and I get a lot of security guys following me on my Instagram, um, said, well, we're in, we're in, we want to join. And it was like, we want to give back to our communities. And where the police are unable to support, you know, we we want to be able to help out and and thank God for that because uh, and I'm not saying that for me I'm saying I'm really pleased other people in the industry want to help as well because unfortunately we don't live in safe times and they mm. just seem to be getting a little bit worse.
1: You know I was just speaking to a family member who is in the police I think she's in the CID and she was telling me that there was I'll not name the city because it might identify her but a city in the north of England there was eight of them on duty mm. on Saturday night and nice. very senior members of the team are just getting out to respond to mental health crisis because there's no resources within the, yeah. the crisis teams. She said she had to sit with somebody in A&E for 14 hours. So straight away, that's two of your eight officers out the mix completely. And she said it's an absolute breaking point. Her job was at one point to go and re- persuade somebody to go back to A&E. But she said they have been waiting 16 hours to be seen. And it's difficult because you as an individual wouldn't be willing to sit there for 16 hours. So you're going to yeah. try and persuade somebody that's perhaps not got all their faculties there or, you know, is in crisis mode to sit for even longer. And it's uh, it's sad, but it also every negative has a positive, doesn't it? And it's going to make your services so in demand. But where you differ, because I mentioned that you are like the real life James Bond. You've worked with A-list celebs, you've worked with the the top level people, but you also work incognito as well. However, you do have quite a public media profile. You're Mm. no stranger to TV. You are, I know you don't like to hear people refer to you as it because you're very humble, but you are a bit of a celebrity. Does that, ever put you at odds with other people that are doing perhaps the same as what you're doing arguably with less success because they're less well known
0: (laughs) um less so now less so now I mean I yeah I've got my haces out there and uh I love them um, you know it goes back to the thing we were saying earlier you know that people will sometimes and, and one of the things that makes me probably more hateable and I, I can't blame them is I don't come from one of the traditional backgrounds you know yeah. I, and and, and I try and champion for the civvies out there to say yeah. you don't have to have walked out of the gates of you know sterling lines you know uh, after 14 years in the in the special forces or out of pool or out of the police or out of Vauxhall or out of you know, Thames House you know you can be if you push hard and, and there's something i'm going to come on to which is I, th- I think about the sort of inherent core things that we need to have as individuals to survive these days but also hopefully to get some success is is the fact that you know there will be people that hate me but i, I get a lot less these these days than i used to I, at the start it was you know he's a walter he's this he's that
1: what's They're, a walter
0: a walter mitty you know, so basically pretending to be something that
1: I'm not. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, forget um, you're a bit older than me. <laughs> the Google who Walter met you so,
0: so mean. <laughs> I thought I was going to leave happy. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... The, the one thing you've got to be absolutely honest about is never, never, you know. And I think it's a general rule in life: don't lie about who you are. But take, own who you are. You know, if your your failings, your inadequacies, your your vulnerabilities, and everything else, own it. Own it. You know, don't try because the problem, in particularly in our industry, it's like that you know the running joke is you know the SAS is the biggest regiment in the British Army because there are so many guys who claim to have been in it. You know, like <laughs> the famous balcony at uh, at the Iranian embassy. They said if everybody who claimed that they were actually in on that balcony during the Iranian uh, siege, um, the balcony would have collapsed. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's about being honest about who you are and pushing through. And one of the things for me is it's, you've got to have some self-belief, not in a weird, deluded way, but you've just got to be convicted by having confidence. We all have imposter syndrome, every single one of us. I will often have moments where, you know, I, I may be doing a TED Talk soon. Someone's very kindly invited me to do one. And I'm thinking, really? Am I qualified to do it? What the hell am I going to talk about? That sort of thing. I mean, doing podcasts is so much more fun because it's just like us uh, sitting over a drink and just rambling. Yeah. Albeit first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it is about, you know, getting past that imposter syndrome and it's being confidence. And I've sat in rooms back in the early days of my career where there were people far more qualified, far more experienced, sat there, arms crossed, looking at me going, "What are you going to teach us? And I'm going,
1: well, well, let's talk a little bit you about how you rip. how you got started. Because if my research serves me correctly, you and your business partner at the time were young whippersnappers yeah. with nothing, you know, in terms of money behind you. Zero. You were completely skint. Yeah. You were cycling way before cycling <laughs> was the in thing to do. To yeah. various meetings to try and when clients over, how did it all come about? Because like you just said there, are a lot of people will presume you've came from the special forces, <clears throat> yeah. but actually that wasn't your route into it.
0: And you know, the funny thing about that is that people say, you're XSAS, aren't you? You're XMY6. And I go, no. And they go, Ah, oh, but you would say that. <laughs> That's true. How did
1: you acquire your particular <laughs> set of set skills? skills. <laughs> well, I watched Taken on
0: repeat about 48 times. Um, no, so how I started was, uh, so I'd had a history in martial arts. I started at the age of seven. My dad was a boxer. And then back in the 70s, doing judo uh, was was pretty much the only accessible, you know, uh, generally accessible martial art. And I loved it, loved it, really got it, stuck into it. And I just followed it. And, and then the Bruce Lee movies came out, into the Dragon. And so mm. I was like, a bit like Matt, you know, uh, Matt Fittis, mm-hmm. he has been another guest of yours and a friend of mine. Um, you know, we've all got bitten by the, the martial art bug. And over time, I'd traveled with it and I'd done some training in Southeast Asia and in Japan and various different parts of the world. Anyway, cut a very long story or a short story long. Uh, Ended up with this friend of mine who I met over a lunch, a guy who was ex-parachute regiment. And he said, look, I've been teaching self-defense to some women in a local sort of uh, community center. And, uh, you know, you've got a wealth of martial arts experience. Would you be able to uh, come and have a look, throw a few ideas in? So I went, yeah, what well, the hell? Why not? I, wasn't, I can't remember what I was doing at the time. But went and met with him, threw a couple of ideas in. And we got on like, uh, like uh, best buddies. And we went, right, why don't we take this idea and actually take it to people's offices? So rather than these girls having to leave work and come back, come over to this community center or whatever, they come, basically, we go to them. So the first, first client was a really big industrial company um, that we managed to obtain. And this guy was a legend, absolute legend, still is in the security industry. He's retired now. And us two young pups walk in the door and we go, right, we're going to teach self-defense, da da, da, da da fuel gas. He's like, really? And we were like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he, And we go, look, we're not going to charge you. We'll come and do it for free. And if it goes down well, then, you know, book some more and, you know, we'll, we'll charge. So he actually took a gamble on us. And I love him for that to this day. You know, I thank him enormously for his uh, for his just conviction and belief in us being able to deliver it. And again, it comes back to this thing we talked about right at the very beginning. Chemistry was right.
2: Mm-hmm. And I,
0: as I say to always, you know, when I meet new clients, I say, if the color of our eyes match and, uh, and you like the color of my eyes, then we're going to work well. If you don't, mm-hmm. it ain't going to happen. But he obviously did. Uh, we ended up teaching. that We then went into places, you know, big banks. We went into some of the biggest advertising agencies, you know, places like Saatchi and Saatchi Ogilvy and May. Then we just targeted companies which had a high female sort of workforce, you know, so Mm -hmm. advertising agencies, you know, it's a no-brainer.
1: Can I just ask, what was your technique for getting in front of such large organizations?
0: Well, what we did was, our plan was, you go to the leading company in each of those industry sectors Mm -hmm. and you get them on board by whatever means possible, (laughs) you know, even if you say we're going to do it for free. And then you say, "If if we do it for free, if you like it, the feedback's positive, can we get a referral from you? And it was back in the days where you would get a nice letter which yeah. said, you know, I'm head of training or head of security or whatever, or head of human resources. And uh, and then we'd have that. And then basically, we would go into their competitor or the next, you know, um, company which was the second size down or the, the next one down. And we go and say, look, we trained at Olga Via Mather or such and such. So, you know, they've endorsed it. And then they'd go, oh, yeah, okay, well, if they employed you, then you can't be too bad.
1: You know what? This is the skill of life. This is exactly what I did with my podcast. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this before, but at the very start, I had a mutual connection with Ricky Hatton, Mm. the boxer. Yeah, yeah. And he's the only guest that I've actually paid to have on the show. He wanted a fee. And and actually, that's not. So I'm not not getting
0: a fee today. I'm waiting for the money to hit my account.
1: (laughs) But uh, I just treated that as a marketing expense. Uh, You know, it was. a couple of thousand pounds, but to secure a childhood idol and someone that had such a big profile was a real comfort zone stretcher as well because I hadn't really at that point had any experience around celebrities or anything like that. And it's the best money that I ever spent because once I'd secured Ricky and interviewed him and I'm approaching other people, even though the podcast was still in its infancy and my downloads, you know, were my mum, my dad and, you know, some auntie somewhere... It was the fact and the prestige of having Ricky Hatton and the presumption, Mm. without you telling any lies, that your podcast must be bigger than it is because you've had Ricky Hatton. And you said to me before we hit recording, you've had some incredible guests. And thankfully I have. And the more incredible guests you get, the more it kind of... Just Snobles, continues yeah. to snowball. And actually mm. a lot of these people now, high profile people, I'm in such a fortunate position that they're contacting me. But if you just go straight to the top and secure yeah. someone like you're just saying yeah. there, then it's very easy to get the others to follow suit.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, it is fake it till you make it. It really it, is. It really is. And I mean, and uh for, for us, we would, you know, we would wander in. We we literally wore black tracksuits. I've always worn black, uh-huh. you know, even before the movie came out. I was known <laughs> as the man in black. And you know, we we would go in there, track suits, polo shirts, and be like, And I mean, he was a good-looking guy. You know, I kind of, I brought the ugly. And so, you know, all these girls were like, oh, okay, these two guys are going to teach us how to protect ourselves. And boy, oh boy, we trained, we taught proper stuff. I mean, any of the listeners who may recall me or Mark coming into their uh, their company and training them, We taught full contact. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and within a very limited time, and this was very, very raw street fighting. I mean, yeah. this was uh, and and literally, Mark and I would wear neck braces. We'd wear head guards. We'd with the funniest thing, and this will make any martial artists out there laugh. We'd get these cushions, literally, sort of like cushions you'd have on your sofa, and stuff them down the front of our things <laughs> with a box as well, because literally, we were t- teaching them to whack in there and kick in there as hard as possible. And we had, you know, I did have a number of women who got in touch subsequently and said. I sadly had to put it into practice, and it worked a treat. One of my favorite ones was this woman who had come out of Hendon Tube Station up in North London, and she said, I'd had my headphones in, which is a real no-no in my book. When you're moving about, do it when you're sat down, do it when you're sat on the tube, do it when at home, but don't walk down practice. the street with there yeah. And this guy grabbed her from behind and literally tried to drag her into an alleyway, and we, t- she, we taught her a technique. And the thing with the, the full contact training that we taught... And we didn't have any mats, we're hitting the 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 the, the concrete floor of these conference rooms that we're mm-hmm. teaching in. so you know Mark and I would come back with eggs on us of bruises and and lumps and swellings and stuff from having the crap kicked out of us. But she got dragged into this alleyway, put into practice this technique that we taught and uh, and got away. She called the police. The police turned up to try and find him, found a tooth. And then started looking a little further, <laughs> found him still in an embryo position, you know, in a fetal position, sort of uh, in a corner. And uh, and the, the police basically said he was completely mashed up and she couldn't even remember what she did. She literally did it from sort of muscle memory, from what we taught.
1: But, but and for didn't... me,
0: God, that that's my job done. That, that makes me so happy.
1: But I was going to say, is that not the ultimate success? I mean, obviously we want to be abundant in all areas of our life, but to actually provide such value that you've potentially stopped somebody getting raped or murdered is such a, wow, that's just such a... It's privilege. It's it's a real privilege. And it was interesting. I studied martial... I say studied loosely. Okay, I did martial arts for years. I did it as a child. I did shotokai karate. And then as an adult, I started it again. Mm. And I'm just one of those people, or actually I shouldn't say this because that's the story I'm telling myself, but in the past, I've had uh, problems with memory retention. So some of these routines, katas or what have you, were very complicated for me. Yeah. And I could never remember them, to be yeah. honest. And it used to be embarrassing. I used to say, put my hand up and say, can you run through that with me again? And they always would do. But after the third or fourth time, you can, and you've still not got it. Mm. You feel like you have to just say, oh, yeah, brilliant, thank you. Because, you know, pe- people get annoyed you. That's the reality. That's
0: no, a bad teacher.
1: But, but there was one, well, yes, arguably that's true as well. But, you know, when you're like the class dunce. It, Doesn't it, matter. It, it's... Um, There's different learning styles for different people, isn't there? But there was this one guy who used to do self-defense classes and they were completely separate and they were on a Friday night and it was real spit and sawdust. And the the, people were literally drawing blood. It was that brutal. But I remember one night he said to me, right, okay, what would you normally do on a Friday? I was in my early 20s. We used to all pile straight into the pub after work. He said, how much would you normally drink? I'm like, oh, well, at least two large glasses of white wine, or whatever I used to drink. White it. lining. yeah, not white wine. <laughs> white wine. I'm I'm far more sophisticated, sophisticated these days, of course. But anyway, he says, right, okay, and I, I always wear ha- high heels, still due to this. Dave's like, right, I want you to turn up after you two large glasses of wine, wearing what you would normally wear, not barefoot, not like with all your faculties about you, how you would actually be walking about in a true to life situation. And he was putting me in situations which felt very uncomfortable. He's like, right, okay, grab me from behind. Then he's next thing, he's straddling me. He's got his hands around my throat. He's like, I'm going to rape you now. And it's like, when you're not used to that, you're used to the more softly, softly martial arts. He's Mm. like, fucking hell, this is a bit OTT. But that is exactly what I wanted for myself. And it's exactly what I want for my daughters growing up. It's Prepare for the worst and hope for the best.
0: Absolutely. I God, I couldn't agree more with all of that. I think, you know, the problem with some of those fixed cutters, and you know, I studied karate for a while um, and it did not work for me. I, I think also if you're going to teach kids, and again, we're cycling back to the bullying thing potentially, that you've got to learn, if you learn a martial art, you've got to learn full contact. Mm. You know, um, it's like the old Mike Tyson saying, you know, everyone's got to plan until they get hit in the face. <laughs> sure. And if you can't take a hit, you um, and you're, you, it comes as a surprise. What will happen is it's a bit like, you know, so if I'm using a firearm and I was I was off overseas the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I hadn't been on a range for ages and uh, my targeting was still good. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if I'm off to do an operation, I'm going to be armed. I will get some range time before I do so. So you get used to the crack, you know, of the actual bullet. So you're not getting that sort of, like that and blinking mm-hmm. and flinching because you you know you've you've become unused to it. The same is also with you know someone laying hands on you, moving you around, forcefully pushing you about. It it charges up the adrenaline, it also breaks you out of that whole freezing process as well. Mm-hmm. But the point you made about how people are trained and how you were trained wearing, you know, your high heels. One of the things which I think was so successful and we had so much fun doing it was that when we turned up at people's offices, obviously everybody was in their workwear. And they go, oh, should I go and change into my tracksuit and my my sneakers? And we go, no, 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 no. You wear exactly what you're wearing right now. Because if it doesn't work with what you're wearing right now, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. you know. And the point is, you've got to know how to do it when you are in high heels when you've got a short skirt on when you've got you know you're, you're completely sort of um, restricted by whatever it is you've got your overcoat on you know we need to make this as realistic as possible uh, and it didn't mean that we we sort of knocked the girls about or anything like that We but we certainly moved them around very aggressively and you know sort of and we did you know we had so much fun It brought out our best acting skills so we're going right darling come on give us a kiss and doing all this sort of stuff <laughs> but we do it in a dark room and then we do that then, was the
1: only difference to the weekend. So the I Oh, or I <laughs>
0: Hang on. Was that my weekend or was that the training? <laughs> and then and then we'd actually have the pair of us. So Mark and I would both attack the girl. Mm. That was kind of like the finale. We'd bring them all in, but we'd sit them outside and we'd play psychological games on them. So, like the very first woman who was actually in the room, and the, the others are queued up outside. We said, "Now scream really loudly." So the girl would go, "Ah!" Like this, and then the, and whoever the other instructor, either me or Mark, was outside with the other girls. You could see their face go, oh, "Shit!" And the whole thing was just to build up that complete fear and that complete, oh my God, Yeah. get them out of that freezing process. Get them to basically fire up and just go, Bruh. and I mean, there were some girls who really felt were naturals. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that the way. pent
1: pen up aggression in there. But yeah. you know what, it's interesting because even people who are trained at fighting, unless you're actually putting them in those high pressure situations, mm you don't know how you're going to react. Yeah. Because I would encourage anyone to go learn a martial art 100%. not boxing. Like, I'm a boxing. big boxing fan. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, any of it, you mm. know, uh, MMA. But so much of what I'd learned previously was about getting my defender down or repelling attack. It wasn't mm. really how do you react if you're already down on the ground and someone's already on top of you. Now, yeah. what do you do in this situation? It was almost like that situation was never considered or addressed yeah. in the vast majority of the practice
0: no absolutely and I, and I think any martial art do not concentrate on one mix it up mm-hmm. you know do a good um, striking martial arts, a good kicking do something like Muay Thai mm-hmm. you know or kickboxing which is great so you're working on your legs you're working on your kicks you're working on your punches but also do a bit of Judo or mm-hmm. do a bit of uh, Jiu and learn a bit of groundwork. So you can cover up here and down there. And I mean, I, I, I'll probably get a few more haters to add to my list um, when I talk about Jiu-Jitsu. And Jiu-Jitsu is a great, great martial artist, but it is not the sole solution. It's like in the same way people say to me, they say, who's the best special forces in the world? You know, I know guys from SEAL teams. I know guys from Delta Force. I know guys from the SAS, SBS, uh, GSG-9, all sorts of various different units around the world. No one group is the best in the world. Everybody brings their expertise to the table.
1: Can, can I ask you a question? I can't remember where I heard this. The Israeli special forces, is it true? Oh, this is horrible. Whoa, <laughs> kill puppy dogs and cats to psychologically prepare them for going to
0: killing humans.
1: Yes. No, nah. that doesn't happen. No. Nah. Okay. Nah. That's the I mean, news.
0: the. Um...
1: I never thought I'd ask that a question. That's no, good.
0: you know what? I <laughs> love people, it. I love you know, it. I've no never, heard, carrots, I've never been no? asked that question before. <laughs> uh, I've worked with some of the Israeli guys. Uh, there's uh, some really, really good uh, Israeli martial artists. But again, it's like people say, "Oh, Israel, uh, Israeli special forces, are the best in the world." No, they're not. No. Um,
1: well, who is then?
0: There isn't one. I, I, you know, I'm going to have natural allegiances to the UK. You know, I have met some Delta Force guys, Rangers, Seals, the SAS and the SBS, uh, are, and Special Constance Regiment. I mean, the SRR, Special Constance Regiment. They're the proper James Bondy mob. You know, mm. well, they're they're proper real James Bonds, not me. <laughs> um, and I've known, I've, I've got lovely friends, both having served and still serving in both the SAS and the SBS. And the thing is, is there's a, there's a great uh, podcast out there with a, a, a hilarious ex Seal Team Six guy called DJ Shipley, if you can look it up. And 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 this encapsulates it perfectly. It's this little clip where he basically talks to the uh, the podcast host, who turns around and sa- and he goes, he says the think those SAS boys, I really like them. And he says, and he says why? And he says, well, you know, we're in. I don't know, it's Iraq or Afghanistan. And he goes, you know these SAS guys walk in and they've got an American flag, you know, US flag patch on their, on their shoulder. And he goes, what's that for? And he goes, got to blame someone. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that sums up probably most of the SAS and SBS guys I know. They're, they're just like that, just scamps.
1: <laughs> you know it's really interesting i always fancied myself as a bit of a female james bond i wanted to be a bit I think of a, it'd be a good one yeah a bit of a nikita type yeah. i used to have this in my head that i could be really acrobatic and have all these like skills and just be able to well kill people really <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no other way to describe it do, do we need it. to
0: talk this through we Ellie? don't need to
1: discuss it through. I've, <laughs> i'm getting counselling but obviously the bad guys, but, mm. which is quite interesting now because I'm very like peace and love. But anyway, I wanted to do two things growing up. One was to basically be a glorified assassin and a James Bond type. The other thing was to be a missionary <laughs> and go do loads of humanity work overseas. Or oh, a missionary
0: is your cover. That's your legend.
1: <laughs> yes, I when you think go so. into these
0: countries and carry out these attacks. I, see, I mean, it, you'd, be part, you'd be great as part of the increment, you see.
1: Well, I think if you can incorporate a bit of both, you've really hit the jackpot, haven't you? But my... Dreams got dashed. I can still remember it. It was about 12 years old and uh, definitely veering more towards the assassin than the missionary at this point. I had an opportunity to really demonstrate my skills. We had a French extreme trip over <laughs> from uh, from Guilhancourt, who we were twins This is with.
0: already starting well.
1: Yeah, starting well. <laughs> off to do some laser quest. <gasps> mm-hmm.
0: so I I'm used to thinking, love a, bit of, laser yeah, a quest. bit
1: of laser quest. I'm taking these guys down. There's 40 of us. Yeah. I'm thinking this is brilliant. So I'm there giving it all the moves like literally I'm doing like front rows, <laughs> jumping up and twisting around <laughs> and just showing the world what I'm capable of. Yeah. Very confident, very self-assured and uh, yeah, just very much enjoying my time as a wannabe assassin and at the end of it this is a true story I remember looking up at the leaderboard and I was in complete shock and I'm still like there must have been something wrong there must have been something wrong because out of 40 people I fully 100% expected to be number one guess what number it was
0: two one
1: was 40th what yeah so Aww. I thought, I'll, I'll focus more. The dream
0: more. was crushed. I'll
1: focus more on the missionary stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Never let that push you back.
0: You should have been back in Laser Quest the next day.
1: <laughs> I should have been, but I was just so genuinely confused. I was like, you know you think you're world class at something, it turns out you're pretty
0: shit. You know what? But it's it, it's like some people are hearing me regale my stories of, you know, fights and stuff like that. Um,
2: and I'm, and always I'm comparing it to there. Laser <laughs> Quest.
0: No, 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 not at all. Not at all, Ellie. I mean, the, 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 the one thing I know is never, ever underestimate anybody. Yeah. I mean, some of the good people I've met, loveliest, charmingest, um, just kindest people, you know, which is why the puppy and kitty thing just wouldn't wash, you mm-hmm. know. I, if I was there, I'd be shooting the instructor. Yeah. I wouldn't kill a kitty for all the tea in China. Yeah. Never. Or a dog, for that matter. Yeah. Um, well, a dog. No
2: I'm, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a
0: cat fan. No, I love dogs, too. There's, don't you find that a strange thing? You know, people who love dogs go, oh, I don't like cats. But people who love cats love dogs as well. Something to be said about dog fans. Anyway, there are... But they are, can be the most dangerous people. I mean, I have to say, some of the nicest people I know are the scariest, scariest people when, it, when, when the switch is turned... And they're doing the job. And the guys who are all sort of like steely-eyed and sort of chisel-jawed, you know, generally not when it comes to it, and it all kicks off, are not as, you know, scary as you might have thought first or um, But I underestimate nobody. And there's I know there's always someone out there who's faster, f- stronger, more violent than I am. Yeah. But I'm probably that more than most other people out there. I think the self-awareness
1: <laughs> is huge. But that's a whole grey man yeah. concept, isn't yeah. it? You yeah. don't want to stand out. People no. who are truly elite want to blend in within your sector. Yeah. So yeah. how does it, you mentioned back in the day, at the start of your career, yeah. experiencing, experiencing imposter syndrome. Mm. I can't get my word For a podcaster, that is not a good thing. <laughs> imposter syndrome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Can you remember the first time that you met Uh, A-list celebrity and how were you able to kind of keep playing it cool?
0: Okay, so God, who was the first celebrity? I'm trying to think who the very first one was. Um, I can't remember actually if I'm honest, Ellie. I can't remember who the first celebrity was but yeah, I do remember back in the very early days you'd walk in the door and they'd look at you and go, so, you know. and, And one of the biggest challenges is if someone's had security before is educating them. To what security should be and being convinced and convicted that the way that you're doing it is the right way of doing it um so it is literally going in there and it's very easy to get pushed over and i i do see you know sometimes you see online the bodyguards with their principal and they're not really doing the job and and people are very quick to judge and say oh well they're shit bodyguards um they may have been count out so much that they can't push back. But there have, has to be a moment where you as a professional have to turn around and say, there's only so much I'm prepared to do. And I remember doing this, having this with one of my guys with a very, very well-known celebrity. And they were getting out of a car outside a um, posh hotel in, in Chicago. And he called me straight after this. And the PAs, to all you PAs out there, uh, so we're here to help you. We're here to work with you. We're here to make your life easier. And if we're the right people, we're here to make you look brilliant. So stop being a fucking pain in the ass to us, all right? Give us the information when we need it. And this one particular PA turned around, uh, as the principal got out. Uh, my guy, Mark, literally moved him. There were lots of people outside the hotel. Moved him straight through, moved him through the hotel lobby, got him into the lift and as they got into the lift, it wasn't a big lift, other sort of hotel guests were trying to get in, and he just went, sorry, no. And the door shut, and the principal, who's got very, very big public following, turned around and went, oh, I'm mortified. How could you stop those people coming in there? And he said, look, to, to be honest, boss, that's fuck all I could do if someone came in here with a knife and wanted to stick it in you. We're in close prox. But prior to them getting into the lift, when they got out of the car, the PA turned around to Mark and said, get the bags, Mark, get the bags. Mark mm-hmm. just ignored her and just, you know, moved the principal through. Anyway, later she kicks off. She calls me up and she goes, That's Mark character, You've got on your team. You know, he he's just not helping whatsoever. I'm like, well, let me look into this, see what I can find out. So I call him up and I go, what happened, buddy? What did you do now? And he turns around and he says, look, I was getting the principal out, moving him, debusting him from the vehicle into the hotel. And he is shouting at the bags and I just ignored her. So I said, great, that's cool. So I call her back and I said, look, did you know he's armed? And she went, yes. I said, what happens if he's holding these bags? Something happens and he can't get to his weapon. Who's standing in court facing the judge, gripping the rail? Mm-hmm. He is, not you. So shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and literally, we do, it's so amazing how so many of these PAs. I mean, one of the things I put up on my Instagram the other day was, even if you're working with a VIP, it doesn't make you a VIP. Mm. And, it, and, it, and that's something that we should never, ever lose sight of. I know I'm the help and I will tug my forelock. With, and I will call, you know, it's like people who call me up and say, hey, Will, and I've never spoken to them before. I'm old school. If I'm with a client, you know, I'll call them boss, I'll call them chief, I'll call them bar, you know, sir, whatever. Oh, that's until they very go,
1: interesting. Until they
0: turn around and say, no, please call me Simon, please call me Paul, please call me, you know, whatever. and And even then, I'll still pepper it with a sir or a boss or a chief to remind them that I've not forgotten my place.
1: Oh, you know what? This is so fascinating that you should say that because I'm the complete opposite. You're providing a valuable service. What makes that individual any more important than you? They're a specialist in their field. You're a specialist (laughs) in your field. True, but you you get paid based on your value Mm -hmm. and you provide a tremendous amount of value. Yeah. Why be subservient?
0: Still subservient. It's respectful. Mm. It's not subservient. What is sir? It's three letters that basically, when put together, is a uh, a mark of respect mm-hmm. and also of their position. It doesn't make me a lesser person mm-hmm. for calling them sir or boss or chief, but it makes them feel better because they feel that they are being appreciated. I've worked with, you know, but if if they're a total dick, then <laughs> I won't call yeah. them sir or boss. Yeah. I'll just say, George, you know, whatever. But it's nice. People get, get a glow, you know. And it's like, I think the biggest measure, I know this is an old thing and you've probably had this covered a million times, Ellie. A real telltale of the, the value of someone is how they treat servers.
1: Exactly. You know, if someone's yeah.
0: serving you a cup of coffee or whatever and you say, thank you, sir, or ma'am, or whatever, you know what? That, nine times out of 10, you won't get any acknowledgement. But for that one person, it might be that moment in their day where they go, actually, I feel valued for what I do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah?
1: Yeah, no, I totally get that. It's just an interesting perspective. I worked in the prisons for quite a few years in my Blimey. previous life and they have the same sort of tradition It's boss or ma'am or sir mm. to you know the inmates, to the prison officers or the staff members. And I was the only one that used to say, look, I'm, I'm LA, I'm not above you, I'm not below you. It used to make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, probably really? because I think I would have an issue calling somebody else sir or ma'am I don't know if that's my inner rebel and that's not to say that I wouldn't be respectful towards them Mm. I just don't believe in I don't think this is what you're saying but it could be construed as putting someone on a bit of a pedestal, just because they've got more money than you, or more fame than you, or that, more that, business. That's, that's
0: more about me. That's uh, if, I, if 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 I felt that, that would be more about me and yeah. my inadequacies and my my vulnerability or or feeling submissive. Me me saying, "Sir, chief, boss," it, it's it's just, hey, you know, because there could be occasions, and I have had occasions, where I'll grab them by the neck. <laughs> And I'll throw, I'll launch that's them into a vehicle, <laughs> and that's just on my dates. <laughs> I'll literally grab them, and I'll launch them, literally, you know, into a car, or there'll be a problem, and I'll literally manhandle them. You know, I have a my my company has contracts with all the people we look after, and it's a, and there's a hands-on clause which basically says, you know, we may end up breaking jewelry, wrists, ribs, whatever, in the process of protecting you. Because we need to move you super quick out of the threats. You know, if someone's pulled a knife or a machete or a gun or whatever it might be, we need to move them super quick. So, uh, you know, and I have had that where I've thrown people into cars and they've come out and they've gone, oh, you broke about three ribs. I'm going, yeah, but you're alive. Yeah. You're breathing. Only just, but you're breathing.
1: You know what, I really like that well, because I always like to challenge my own way of thinking. I'm definitely not a closed-minded person. And just through you saying that's made me think perhaps it's a element of ego, my reluctance to perhaps acknowledge people with certain titles. Although I definitely do that in reverse as well, as I demonstrated with a prison example. Yeah. But it's interesting because in your line of work, more so than most, mm. You really need to detach yourself from ego.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. But also, you have to be very convicted. So there's, so there may be things where you will say no. I mean, I remember there was a very famous action movie star that I looked after. Oh, he wasn't. And do well, uh, tell anyone. Well, He's <laughs> good looking, a uh, bit of a party boy, and I was looking out after him during his prime, and we would go out, and literally, he That's was. Not- Give him much away. Oh, you've seen some of his movies. Most of them are direct to DVD these days. I'm not talking about Segal, who's a douchebag. Um, this guy is hilarious, good looking guy, maybe from Europe. Let's just put it that way. And he was hilarious and literally go out and and uh in the most misogynistic way, he used to be chasing women all night. And he usually come back with at least three or four. Oh wow. And uh and I would I would literally say, no, we're leaving now. Or I had a supermodel once that I was looking after who was uh, she? She was very famous, and she was married to uh, or engaged to uh, a band member of a very big US rock band. And she would literally get very, very drunk, uh, and every boy in the room would be after her because she was pretty famous at the time. And I was fireman lifting her out of nightclubs because she'd had too much to drink and would literally fall apart. So the thing is, is that I would still call him ma'am. I'd still call him sir. I would still call him chief doesn't mean anything other than it reminds you that i'm here but there will be times where i'm just going to enforce my will for your safety and your protection
1: yeah i love that and interestingly what you said there just triggered another memory from when we were chatting previously when you have been dealing with some beautiful high profile a-list celebrity women uh, hollywood actresses you've had like you said they are supermodels etc you were always surprised to hear that they really struggled to find decent blokes and quite often, by their own admission, ended up going out with quite often not good looking and not particularly good people. No,
0: not good people at all. I mean, this was... This is the thing. I've had this conversation with, you know, sort of female friends of mine. Um, that They they resign themselves. And particularly, you know, very beautiful ones like yourself, Ellie. Um,
1: you can see why you're called the real-life James Bond.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Your partner's a lucky guy.
1: Um,
0: that they would, uh, because they're so beautiful, they're so famous, they would be appear to be unattainable. And, the, you know, any sort of normal nice guy would simply just not approach because they'd go gotta be kidding this is x they're, they're bound to have a a partner B a thousand men in waiting to go in and they've got their pick of any man they want and so they wouldn't even make that approach and then it would be that sort of complete tit that you would have in a nightclub that most women have experienced at some point or another you come and say give me your number give me a number give me a number and they just literally persevere 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 until either they get punched on the nose or their partner punches them on the nose until that girl goes oh fuck's sake nobody else is asking so yeah go on here's my number and they they've resigned to the fact that those are the only kind of people that are actually asking them out but they are always fraught with disaster because the guy is either trying to build up his career build up his life his profile or make money or live the good life or whatever it might be and you know so many of these really beautiful famous a-list actresses that i've met have been so vulnerable and insecure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and literally, I'm like, you have everything. You got money, you got fame, you got beautiful looks. What are you going to be insecure about? And they're like, "Well, well, they'll keep me this shitty man." And I'm like, and "I'm going to well, stop picking anybody on my team." But <laughs> starters, oh, that's not happening.
1: You know, it's interesting the wider point there. Though, what is the definition of success? It's something that we explore a lot on this mm. podcast, as you know, because it's not just about the money, the beautiful body, the multi-million pound mansion. If you're and not enough doing... about me, Elliot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you want to get to that point to at least experiment, don't mm. you? But those things on their own are not what brings contentness. Happiness. And we we're actually yeah. talking about educating children at school. Yes, we want to teach them and how to protect themselves. But also, if we were teaching people from a young age about self-confidence, not just women, but men as well, they wouldn't be in this situation a lot of the time where they are sexed in or yeah. getting into these relationships and being as vulnerable because we do lack that inner confidence and that inner again it sounds a little bit cheesy but for want of a better phrase that self-love
0: confidence is the one word that underpins all of us Mm -hmm. and it makes us either incredibly strong or the lack of makes us incredibly weak Mm -hmm. and it applies for me personally everything when uh, when I speak, I, I, I I'm a, like you. I'm a huge studier of human behaviour and interaction, and I, and I read up as much as I possibly can on this stuff as well because I find it all fascinating. The confidence thing is key. I mean, I've had male friends of mine who've come out of relationships, they've broken up with their wives or their girlfriends after a long time, and they're like, "Oh, well, I don't know what to do. I'm going to sign up to Bumble or Cringe or whatever one of those dating apps." And uh, and I say, you know what it is, buddy? It's confidence. Uh, you know every woman and I speak to my female friends and I go you know it doesn't matter how ugly the guy is, or
2: yeah. he
0: doesn't have huge bank balance. If he comes in absolutely struggling with confidence, and there's a distinct difference between confidence and arrogance.
2: Yeah,
1: there is. Yeah, and, it,
0: and it's it, because arrogance is usually uh, it's it's fallible, and it's and it's usually underpinned by vulnerability. Yeah, because it's trying to overcompensate mm-hmm. for the lack of confidence. But the confidence of someone walking in makes all the difference, and every woman is magnetized to a man who is who is confident. Yeah, and, uh, and I forgive my generality. But equally, if we're doing something like a penetration test,
2: so if, <laughs> sorry, excuse
0: me. Uh, enough about my weekend. <laughs> so we get paid by companies to try and defeat their security covertly, to, to try and circumvent their security and get through it. So it could be going through their their front entrance, there. Excuse me, their main reception. <laughs> it's like whatever. Your, your
1: bingo. Oh, isn't it? It's just going
0: horribly wrong now. Uh, it was going so well, Ellie. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, we 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 get paid to try and defeat their security. And, uh, and when you're blagging your way through, it's like uh, uh, you have to have the confidence. You have yeah. to, you know, it's like going into a party. You have to convince yourself and self-believe that you deserve to be there yeah. and you should be there. And it's all about you.
2: Yeah. And,
0: and even if you're faking it till you make it, it makes all the difference. And uh, I used to have this great old gag, which I used to love playing at parties, where, and I used to play it with uh, with uh, with friends, where you'd basically go up to someone who you'd never met before. And you go, hi, how are you? And you do this whole convincing routine that you know each other, that you know them, that you've met before. And because of our social politics, people will rarely tell around and say, who the fuck are you? I've yeah. never seen you before in my life. People are too socially conditioned to not wanting to embarrass you or embarrass themselves because mm. they may be forgetful. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how long you can pursue that whole process if you've got the chutzpah to push it through. <laughs> but confidence is everything. And yeah. it's, but it's also knowing where confidence doesn't move into arrogance mm-hmm. and and confidence makes all the difference it makes people warm to you makes yeah, people does. happier makes people feel secure, secure makes them feel confident and in my business confidence is absolutely key you've got to know your shit and you've mm-hmm. got to know what you're talking about because you're going in quite often when people's lives have really gone quite chaotic and haywire and dark and they they are go they're beseeching someone to try and help them out of mm-hmm. it and you may not necessarily help them out and that's what you don't go in and say da I will make everything better it's, it's. Uh, I, I'm going to come in. I've dealt with these kind of things before and I'm probably best placed to help you mm-hmm. to try and get us out of this. But I'm going to be with you the whole way.
1: Yeah. It's quite funny. Confidence really is blinding when mm. I look back at some of my ex-boyfriends, which was thankfully many moons ago, been with my husband for 18 years. But it wasn't just the fact that I was going out with some rather ugly men. It was the fact that I was completely deluded into believing that they were the sexiest things on the planet at the time Mm. just because of their air of confidence. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But But did they make you happy? That's the thing.
1: No, most of them treat me quite badly, actually. Oh, no. But you live and learn, don't you? Yeah,
0: we do live and learn, and I mean, but that confidence can get you through that first door, and I mean, it can get you get you some of the way. So you've got to be able to support it and back it up. But the confidence is really key. And I think that there was something I was thinking about while you while you were just talking there about how the confidence is is also reassuring for people. You know, mm-hmm. people it's reassuring for you as well. And even if you are bluffing it to a certain extent when you're walking in the door, you know, I do a lot of public speaking like you. I do a lot of seminars and, and particularly sort of industry events where I, where I stand up. Am I crapping myself every time before I do them? Of course I am. And, mm-hmm. I, and I hope I never, uh, you know, I hope I always will be. Shows you care. Yeah. And also it get, it gets my game on, you mm-hmm. know, because I'm going... I've got, to, I've got to impress here. I've got to talk sense. I've got to hopefully deliver, you know, and and I've died. You know, there have been a few that I've done that I've died on, you know, and I've died in front of the audience. But, you know, you learn from that and don't allow yourself, allow yourself to get knocked back. You just pick yourself up and say, hey, bad day. Everyone has a bad day.
1: I really love that. There was, I think it was a Simon Sinek video that I watched in preparation for my first sort of really big public speaking engagement because it's only... Four or five years ago, where I was physically trembling at the prospect of doing a 30 second elevator pitch in front of a room full of 15 people. So it's quite an evolution, it's quite a process, but very much like you, I was completely shitting myself. Mm. The imposter syndrome had kicked in. But something Simon Sinek said was really useful because, yes, the fears are healthy, there's a fine line between excitement and fear. However, when it starts getting to the point where it's crippling you, you are actually making it more about you than you are about the audience. You're there to serve the audience. So it's removing that ego as well. And it's also keeping in the forefront of your mind that unless there's an absolute knobber in the audience, which you may well have, the vast majority of people are interested in what you have to yeah. say. They're there to learn. They want to see you do well. So get out of your own head yeah. and just realise that typically if you've been asked to speak on a stage, because you're in a position where you have, Value to offer the other party, and I think the other point you made is really important because we said fake it till you make it Mm. a few times or be it until you become it. Yeah, and it's always great to hear stories of innovation, how people get their foot in the door. Yeah, but the point that I don't want to get missed, and I don't think it will have been missed, is the fact that, as you quite rightly said, you need to have the goods to back it up
2: yeah of course because
1: it's almost like marketing versus sales versus yeah, yeah, delivery yeah. isn't it you can get the leads in but then you need to convert the leads but then if the product or service is complete shite yeah. then the whole thing's going to unravel very very quickly
0: absolutely but you have to have confidence in your product as well yeah. and if the product is you and you're absolutely right there will be novas in the audience I've had them you know, and they they will go, oh, and you see their little faces. And the problem is when you're talking to a big crowd of people, you'll have some people that are engaged, they're staring at you, and it's very easy to just engage with those. And I, the one thing I always try and do is just make sure I'm looking at the entire audience and just scanning everybody so nobody feels excluded. But you will get the odd nobber who's chatting in the back row or, you know, chatting to their mate or looking at their phone and they're just not interested. Don't allow that to destroy your confidence. Um and believe in what you're delivering, believe in what you're doing, believe in what you're saying. Um, because if you don't, you will fall apart. Yeah. And you need to go up there with conviction and go, I am bringing value to these people. And you know what? Fuck them if they don't appreciate it. But you do need to be that way in the, and, and let them decide. It's a bit like when you host a party and you get a lot of people, you get them ran, and you make everything perfect and you get all the booze and you get all the food and you decorate the place and make it look amazing – the one thing that so many people do is they spend their entire evening fretting. Is everyone having a good time? Fuck them. They'll bring the good time to the party. Yeah. And if they don't, bye-bye.
1: Yeah. You you've, you've
0: done everything you possibly can.
1: Yeah, weddings are a prime example of that, aren't they? I've We're had the a couple. Ha- <laughs> well, you're, you're probably better place than I am with this one. We got married in Antigua, but when we had the UK one, the sort of after party, if you like, a couple of weeks after we returned, I didn't get to see my husband once because we're both dutifully doing the rounds. Get where I was, he was actually in the corner and getting pissed with his mates. So we were just then arguing. <laughs> but I'm going through as many people, some family members I've never even met before on Mark's side mm. and just trying to be the perfect hostess, if you like, because it's my wedding, which I appreciate you've got to do to an extent. But at the end of it, I was just so glad that we'd actually got married abroad because I thought, what the fuck was the point in this? We're here to celebrate our love and our matrimony and our commitment to each other. And we haven't even seen each other because you end up just trying to...
0: Appease everybody.
1: Appease everyone and be polite. But the other point that you made is if you don't have confidence in yourself, how can you expect anyone else else to have confidence with you? And again, it's not spoken about enough because we're all sort of told it's okay not to be okay. Well... I would challenge that narrative. Yeah, I'd agree. Of course, we all have times where we don't feel okay. And yes, we want to normalise that because we're not robots and social media is very much just a highlight reel. But it's also saying on the days where we don't feel okay, what are we doing about it? Or you know, sometimes you just have to absorb that negative energy, let it pass, and then the next day you start afresh. But Mm. this sort of sentiment that it's okay to not be okay is absolving yourself of any responsibility and any power over your own situation, and I've not met anyone that's successful financially or otherwise in any area of life who has relinquished that power to a third party.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've got you've got to be not in a strange sociopathic way, although some of my exes is that might how I
1: came across. Some of my some
0: of <laughs> my exes will probably say I am sociopathic, um, but they're going to a bit of soci- <laughs> a, a bit of sociopathy. If you can call it that, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I think you need to be convinced. You have to, and you—you made a very valid point there. If you don't believe in yourself, how the hell is anybody else going to believe in you? So you've—you've got to be um, very, very convinced. And—and uh, and that doesn't make us—that doesn't make us uh, not, you know, self-aware enough to go. You know what? We all have our failings. You know, I need a cuddle as much as the next man. And I, you know, and one thing I have with a very small, close group that I have of friends, is, uh, you know, I will sign off a phone call and say, love you, buddy, and I will give them a big cuddle. And um and sometimes I will go around, just give them a big cuddle, and I will tell my friends how much I love them. Mm. And, uh, you know, we all need to hear that. We mm. all need to hear that. Because, you know, none of us are... If if we, if we didn't, then we would be a bit weird, and we'd be a bit Jeffrey Dahmer-ish. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the key thing here is, you've got to actually... Believe in yourself. You've got to believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. And you have to drive forward and recognize that what you do, and that modesty is fine, but modesty can also be hugely dangerous and Mm. hugely damaging. Fucking champion yourself. Mm. You know, you are you. You bring something to the table. Some people like it. Some people won't. Fuck the ones who don't.
1: You know what? It's almost what's needed to get you to a certain level is that whole cliche is not what's required to get you to the next again level. And... I'm quite a humble person now, but had I displayed those attributes at the start, Mm. I wouldn't have been the tenacious ball breaker that was able to get noticed and get stood on stages. Or back when I worked in double glazing, I was promoted to management really quickly. It's because I was backing myself. It's because I was loud. It's because I was in everyone's face. It was once met, never forgotten. And, you know, arguably, and I don't agree with this, but that's why the naughty children in school tend to get, the most attention it's it's like the nice guy finishes last and that's something that we obviously should look at changing but Mm. don't be like scared to blow your own trumpet nobody else is going to do that people make a career out of blowing out other people's candles but that reflects more on them than you and actually when you do get to a certain level of success as long as you can make sure that you're not arrogant if you don't promote yourself and you don't tell people what you do then arguably you're doing yourself a disservice but not only that you're doing a disservice to other people who may be getting value from your product or service or something that you have to offer but they don't know you exist because mm. you've not put yourself out there
0: yeah you know it's really that's that's all incredibly true all incredibly true and i think also there is a lifeline of confidence and it starts in early age as precociousness and it can end up as arrogance and you need to make sure that as that line is moving through your life journey and in your life experiences and as you develop and as you grow, that you, that you ensure that that line doesn't drop into precociousness or into arrogance or, or rises into those particular spheres. And that's where the self-belief and self-awareness really comes in. And it's understanding that do you know where that boundary is and make sure you don't step into that. Because the moment you do, that, that confidence Gets completely decimated. Their confidence gets undermined. Their confidence gets seen through. Yeah, and then you are basically going to be in a very weak position. Yeah. So it, it you know, it's it's a bit like a, a, one of my other favorite sayings is, "Always be aware of the person who's the most quiet in the room, because that person probably has the most to say."
2: Yeah.
0: And and I've and I've had this one. I've had young guys who've worked with me, and we go into a client's a client meeting. And and bless them, they'll be like ah, trying to, you know, like eager little foxes jumping up to try and sort of get their five cents worth in. And and me reassuring them and saying, actually, you know what, if you come into that meeting and we finish the meeting and you haven't said a single word, you'll be remembered more than you would have if you've said something bone or stupid.
1: Mm, it's so true. It's that or
0: something which didn't actually contribute or elevate the conversation or the subject matter if you walk away without saying anything, the client's going to respect you a lot more.
1: So powerful. And actually, this, you can apply it to absolutely anything because I've listened to podcasts. I've probably spoken a bit more than I should have done this one some. <laughs> <Me> <too. laughs> yeah, uh, this probably isn't the best example where I've uh, spoke disproportionately, but certain podcasts I've listened to where you're like, shut up to the host. They ask a question and they don't let the guest answer it. And it's incredibly frustrating. It's knowing When's your time to speak? When's your time to listen and learn from the specialists that you're bringing in? But do you notice with regards to the confidence moving into arrogance, a discrepancy between your... I was going to say your layman clients compared to your celebrity clients because, or th- th- it's the wrong way to put it, because all your clients are extremely successful because I'm sure you charge a hell of a lot. Of I do, yes. money. So, <laughs> so that's going to rule out the vast majority of people. But do you notice a difference between the people who have not got a public profile and the ones who may typically be surrounded by an entourage, a lot of yes people? Mm, How does yeah, that impact yeah. the ego?
0: Uh, you know what? There's a fake ego. With those that are in celebrity, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a manufactured ego, whereas the business people who are worth you know billions are there's a quiet confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was one I had in New York, a lovely guy. Um, who was
1: that again? Uh,
0: very good, Ellie. Nice try. Um, where I literally would go uh, and meet with him in his Upper East Side, you know, Madison Avenue offices. And at lunchtime, he'd go, right, just gonna get some lunch. And he'd walk down to one of the little burger stalls and just get a pretzel or a hot dog and eat it. This guy was worth $12 billion. Mm. And he'd just sit there with his, and I'd sit, you know, nearby, just obviously keeping an eye on him, making sure he wasn't getting mugged or kidnapped. And he'd literally look at his phone and just, you know, eat his hot dog quietly, and then wander back into the office, you know. And it, but there was just this quiet confidence, and you, you know, you can pick up. I find that really magnetic when you when you meet someone who is really achieved stuff, and just done, and is just the nicest person ever. I was with some lovely clients last night who cooked me dinner. And they're, they're, they're highly successful, really famous people. And they got their chef, there, as-you-do, your chef, to, to cook me really lovely dinner. And we just sat around like friends, you know, and I don't know them that well, but genuinely lovely people. I'm really looking forward to, to helping them out and working with them. You know, just very normal, nice people. And the thing mm. is, is that very successful people can be very normal. But it's like celebrities. I mean, they're sort of Z-list there fucking pain in the ass and I just won't touch them you know unless there's a serious 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 issue and they need some help um, but the real A-listers the real top top level ones they're lovely they're really sweet you know I remember uh, I say Jack Black um, yeah. I hated all his movies I was not a big fan it was just one of those inherent ugh, don't like his shows charmingest man on this planet mm. and the one thing that I would say certainly still prevails and I've said this on a few podcasts so forgive me Ellie is the ones you expect to be nice are generally horrible and the ones you expect to be horrible are generally lovely.
1: Yeah, and you know what, sometimes you just cannot call it, I will listen to guests before they come on any previous interviews they've done and i've had the most or what i thought would be charismatic people booked in who have performed brilliantly they've been in flow i'm sorry yeah, yeah, i tried my
0: best today and <laughs> then you meet
1: them in person and i don't know what it is it's uh we, we touched about touched on it right at the start of the podcast to kind of do a full closed loop on it i suppose it's about an energy a connection yeah. maybe someone's just having a bad day perhaps it's no reflection on you yeah absolutely whatsoever but you know we, we can all have them i look yeah. back at interviews i've done with other people and oh yeah me perhaps too. somebody's rubbed you up the wrong way or it might not have been anything to do with the person actually interviewing like i just said it might have been up all night one of the kids or all three of the kids or a barney with a husband or a property deal collapsing and as much as we are the sort of people that will turn up and perform to the best of our abilities there are definitely things that but, can influence us.
0: but I think also it's key to be able to I mean one thing in my industry is it doesn't matter you know um, my girlfriend and I had a little bit of a row this morning uh, but I still gave her a kiss and you know and walked out the door and said, have a lovely day darling and uh, but I just she, wind her up more she, 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 yeah <laughs> she, she's, a, she's a fiery cracker she's a fiery girl you know don't want to unleash her that'd be nightmarish but you know we you have to go to your job uh, and particularly in my industry and in many other industries you've got to park that shit you know whatever problem you've got whatever nightmares are happening at home put it to one side either don't turn up to work or park here
2: yeah i,
0: I am so intolerant if someone comes to work for me and they go oh but you know can ate my homework don't give a fuck yeah get out of here or crack on get on and do the job well, and yes, this is the problem sorry. with society now okay. it's like oh no i mean what is it i heard about someone the other day they had to take work off uh, had take they took some time off for a mental health day because they had their assessment and it didn't go as they wanted it to.
1: Yeah. You shouldn't be pondering to that.
0: I'm sorry. You know, I cannot, cannot. That person, you know, when the zombie apocalypse hits, that's one of the first casualties. Yeah. You know?
1: But there's no excuses, really. I suppose it's the standard you set for your own life. It's that accountability. It's how you do anything. It's how you do everything. We yeah. spoke before we hit record. You asked if I'd travel down last night or this morning. Well, I could have got a half, five, quarter to six train this morning and still made it here on time. Mm. But the trains aren't the most reliable. If I turn up on the morning and that's cancelled, then yeah. I have got no physical means of being able to get here on time. Exactly. If I went back home and got in the car... The math doesn't add up. It takes significantly longer. So, why would you leave that to chance? Why would you, for the vast majority of people, they would turn up on the morning and be like, shit, mm. the train's cancelled. This is totally out of my control. And everyone in their family and their network will say, look, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. These things happen. People yeah. will understand. Well, here's the reality that no one's talking about. I wouldn't understand no. if you did not turn up today because you said that the bloody underground was on strike. I wouldn't expect that standard from myself, so I'm not going to expect it from you.
2: I
0: wouldn't expect you to ever call me again.
1: Yeah, but but that's the truth. Quite right, This is the absolute truth of life and business that's not discussed because we've got an era of snowflakes, and that is a pretty controversial thing to say. But, you know, travel down the night before, do what you need to do to mitigate any risk. Any business is about mitigating risk, isn't it, in that extreme... Ownership, well, we've already went over our time. I've got to finish with (laughs) one final question because it feels feels like we've been talking for five minutes. I did say at the start that I've got all these points written down that I wouldn't allude to once. And uh, true to form, that's exactly what's Mm. happened. Perhaps so you could give us, seeing as you're not going to dish any celebrity names, how about a real practical tip that people can implement to improve their own uh, personal safety?
0: I'm going to take this right back to where we started. Gut reaction, sixth sense, instinct. Call it what you like, you have it there for a very good reason. And whereas in our early days of living in caves and fighting saber-toothed tigers and mammoths, uh, we had little else to rely on, these days as information has advanced, as technology has improved, as we are deluged with information on a daily basis, our instinct can be confused. By the various conflicting messages that are communicated to us. Push all of that fogginess to one side. Listen to your instinct. It may not always be right, but more often it will be right. And it is there to protect you and keep you safe.
1: Wow. Words of absolute wisdom. And also, the other one that I was a golden nugget from earlier that I'm going to take on board myself is not wearing headphones when you're out and about working on your own.
0: Absolutely. You remove one of your key senses. You Mm -hmm. have smell taste hearing and whatever the other one was can't remember Touch, <laughs> Touch. yeah that, that, that brings back bad memories no. <laughs> you're removing one of your inherent <clears throat> senses yeah. and um forewarning of any potential danger from trouble yeah yeah wear them when you're static in a car on a tube on a train somewhere where you don't have to watch your six wow
1: love that Will it's been an absolute pleasure we'll I'd love to bring this, you back Ellie. for round two because it's, it's gone so quick hasn't I it I
0: know what happened was that about 20 minutes
1: it's about twenty minutes. About an hour and 40 it's wow. been an absolute pleasure you're a superstar you did not disappoint thank you for oh, coming well, on the On The Mission podcast I've
0: really enjoyed it thank you Ellie.
1: thanks Will Ellie here, I hope you enjoyed another incredible episode of the On A Mission podcast. Did you know that every single one of our amazing shows is now on YouTube? So if like me, you prefer to watch things and really absorb the content that way, head over to our YouTube channel, make sure you hit subscribe and show us some love. Thanks, guys.